Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn. Uh, we are recording this pod on Friday the 13th, so who knows what's going to happen today. Kevin Flynn here, joined alongside media executive Grail Hallett, as well as soccer journalist and OTB producer Sam Griswold. Today on Over the Ball, we talk to ESPN's Adrian Healy, one of the voices of MLS over the last few years. Uh, Adrian has some really exciting news to share with us today on OTBs. He checks out new opportunities in the soccer world here in the United States. Uh, Big news also. uh, not big news, maybe just regular news, I guess. We, we will talk about last night's U.S. men's national team draw against Wales and a rainy Swansea. Kind of a mixed bag uh, is how I kind of took it. Overall, I think some really good stuff. Uh, I'm going to talk to the guys about that. But before we get started, the aforementioned guys, what are you over today? I'm over the ball. Sam? No, uh, Grail. Let's go with Grail. What are you over? No, okay. yeah, let's go with Grail. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm, I'm over trying to figure out this EPL season thus far it's uh, we're about eight matches in I love it though because there is no predictability week to week and a team can look great one weekend and then get beaten by an inferior team the next weekend and injuries are becoming a much bigger issue because of how many games were played uh towards the end of last season so uh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm done with predicting anything. It could be a dark horse. I'm just going to say it yeah. could be a year that like a Leicester City or an Aston Villa could win the league, given some of the injuries to Liverpool players and things like that. Yeah, you talk about all the games played, and Liverpool yeah. obviously uh, represents that. I mean, almost their whole back four, other than Robinson, are, are, uh, are out. Yeah. Um, what do you got, Sam? Yeah, I'm sort of in this vein, but I'm just over how many games are going on right now. I know I've been over this before, and I probably shouldn't be as a soccer <laughs> fan who does a podcast. Who but, had no soccer for months, but you're over all the But it's just now. such a mess. I, I mean, the last weekend in any game I watched, it just looked like players were exhausted. I mean, the yeah. fatigue level, mental and physical, was just very apparent. And now... They're flying all over the world, some for, you know, friendly games. And, you know, you got players breaking local restrictions for leaving a lockdown and going somewhere else. It's just a mess. I mean, I understand you need to figure out the qualifiers for the Euro. There are important things. But, but, I mean, do we need a U.S.-Wales friendly? Yes, I I believe we do need that because I I learned a lot last night. They haven't played for a long time. But I – I take your point, Sam. The players do look tired. And I think the NCAA, if we want to stay domestic here with the viewers, you know, with what's going on, um, those guys are playing two, three games a week, and they are dog tired. And you know what? They're full-time professional players being treated to first-class airfare and great travel arrangements. Think about college players just because they're young. They're probably the same age as these professionals. And they're studying. A week. Right. And they're studying to boot, not yeah. me, but I mean, students, you know, other students. Hey, I'm Sam, to your, too. Point, Sam yeah. to your point, I think we got to, I, I seriously think they got to consider the five subs. Well, I was just going to say that yeah. that's been put forward again, right? By yes. some of the bigger teams and sort of shot down by the smaller teams, right? Yeah. But I mean, honestly, just for preservation, I think you need more options. Frankly, yeah, don't have the players, you know, so yeah. the lower division. Now you hear, you talk about Liverpool. They've lost, uh, you know, Van Dyke, uh, Arnold, Joe Gomez, Joe Gomez. And yeah, that's it. Well, they've lost three of their back four. I mean, they've got, well, what uh, happened? they've got Andy Robertson. He's the only guy left. And, yeah. But uh, they'll have some, uh, they'll have some depth. there. not really proven depth right now, but, but you know, the Liverpool bench is a lot bigger. Now, if that happened to a lower division team or a lower tier team, that's uh, that's a problem. You lose in three of your back four defenders. That's their engine room too. I just, I just yeah. feel like from, um, from Allison out to their back four, that's what got them to the championship last year. So. Right. Well, I tell you when I'm over gentlemen, I'm over everything. Uh, oh wow not being able to go to restaurants bars being scared shitless on an airplane looking at somebody who sneezes in the in public as like a potential mass murderer (laughs) and yes i'm over wearing a mask i'm over all of it but you know what we have no choice we need to keep wearing our masks for each other for our fellow Uh, citizens so yeah i'm tired of it because i heard someone say like i'm tired i want to get back to work who doesn't dude but we've got to play 90 minutes, man. Go into stoppage time. Don't complain. It doesn't help if you just complain. It doesn't do any good. we got to wear a mask. we got to get through this. So shut up. All right. I like how you did that, by the way, funny. What's you that? You kind of made me – you took me down the trail thinking you were going to be one of those people who was anti-mask. Yeah. And then you, you came back. 
I that was like that. that Tom Brady, like that Tom Brady. Exactly. Uh, exactly. <laughs> last week. So, yes. all right, guys. So I want to talk about this last night. Uh, you know, the Welsh and the U.S. went at it. Uh, zero, zero tie. But I saw some good stuff. Um, Mike Boitola of one of our sponsors, Soccer America, pointed out that nine players, including four starters on the team last night, were not old enough to buy a beer in the United States. They saw action. <laughs> and you know what they reminded me of? My father went to the Korean War at 17 years old. He was on the, on the Korean War front from 18 to 20 years old. Came back as a staff sergeant, took a troop ship from Korea back to San Francisco. First thing my father did when he got back to San Francisco, back to the United States, was he broke the law. He had a beer because drinking age is 21. Oh, God. <laughs> he, just spent, he just spent two years you know, with a rifle in his hand uh, in Korea, and now he couldn't have a beer legally. Shows you how crazy that was. So, uh, so anyway. Um, a lot that I liked last night. Uh, I like what I saw. Cocky, sort of American swagger that the, the kids had. And I call them kids because they are. Mm-hmm. They, they were young. Um, a little inconsistent at time, but overall a good vibe. I mean, they managed 61% of the possession. Um, they, you know, they played pretty well out of the back and kind of stifled uh, the Welsh attack. Um, I liked the way they defended as a group. They pressed high. Uh, seemed to run out of uh, – they were tail of two halves, as usual, with uh, this game we love. But uh, what did you think, guys? Well, you kind of – you stole my thunder. I mean, I I, can, I I agree with pretty much everything you said. I The, the best thing for me uh, was the, the play out of the back, which to, the past few times I've seen them – and, again, I think their last match was February 1st, so it's right. hard to even think back that long. But they struggled getting it out of the back. And I thought, oh, my God, if they can't figure this out, they can't compete. And that was much better. And I thought first half, good ball movement, good, uh, as you were saying, good pressing. And then in the second half, they just, they lost their shape. I just felt like guys were like playing positions they weren't supposed to be playing. And it just got a little ragged and uh, they were playing longer balls. Um, But I I do think, I think they need a target guy. That's the, that's, that was one my one takeaway. They need, They've got a lot of like winger type guys. They miss Polisic, no doubt. Polisic would have helped on one of those sides, but I, I do think they're missing that target guy. Yeah, and uh, Legette was up there, and I, I like him as a player. He's sort of a utility man, and somebody you know he's not a false nine there, obviously. And um, they, it, it did hurt them, and they didn't finish. Uh, what were your thoughts, Sam? Well, I, I hate to be the dissenter here, but um, <laughs> but that's your role. Come on, Sam. <laughs> I did think, you know, I liked the movement that I saw in the American team and the confidence on the ball, like you were saying, and the fact that guys like McKenney and Adams and Reyna can sort of drift all over the midfield, even further up, hold the ball uh, with no problem. They look completely comfortable with it. But, I I mean, I, I said earlier, I don't know why these games are even happening. And, I mean, I think it's worth noting, you know, nine of the 11 U.S. players were under 21. I mean, Nine of the 11 Wales players don't even play in top-tier leagues in the starting lineup. Eight of them play in the championship. One plays in the second Bundesliga, uh, whatever that is, Bundesliga 2. You know, that guy Robbie Matondo up top plays at Schalke. He's only played twice this year. And the goalie plays at Leicester, and he's the backup. So What are you saying? uh, uh, This was hardly (laughs) – I mean, these are the guys that that caller – who tried to troll you when he called in to ask about the Scotland left back. I mean, this is who, you know, that's the sort of caliber of player we're talking about here. So I don't know. I mean, sure. They, they played fine. They had a lot of possession. They didn't get a shot on goal till the 51st minute against essentially a B team. I mean, Look, I, I think I, Sam, I understand I your point. I mean, but this is what we always talk about, the friendlies. Do you want to win friendlies or do you want to see who's, who's coming up that you're going to need for qualifying? And I think as far as that was concerned, I, you know, Grail, look, we've, we've gotten on uh, the shape or the system that he's been trying to, yeah. um, that he's been trying to implement. This is the first time I saw it. I saw it, the, the, the press playing out of the back, pressing yeah. high, um, you know, the wingers going, you know, the defensive, you know, outside uh, – Backs going up, you know, going up and down. Sergino Dest, I thought, He's had good. some real magical moments. Um, and uh, the Janus Musa, I thought, had some really good stuff. He was only 17 years old. Never heard of him. Yeah. He, uh, I guess he's in La Liga, Sam? Yeah, he plays for Valencia. I brought him up last week. Yeah, he's been starting regularly for Valencia. So Yeah. I, was, I guess I didn't listen to you last week because <laughs> I was impressed with him. I thought he held on to the ball a little too long at times. Um 
the final pass, the final pass was missing a lot. I felt like they would do yeah. good stuff and then they, it would come crunch time. And that just, that final pass wasn't there and there was, or there wasn't the guy in the receiving end. Yeah. But you was, know, uh, the finisher. Grail, what I noticed was, yeah. you know, checking back to the ball to receive it and the ability to turn yeah. great phase for himself. Um, I thought, uh, I thought that worked really well. I did not think, um, Gio Reyna played that well, no. but you know, everybody thought he said he was, you know, uh, like I me, mean, Mike Watchola gave him a six or seven. I, I just didn't see that. I thought, I thought that it almost looked like he wasn't used to the speed of play, but he plays for Borussia. So it's, you know, so he plays yeah, for Dortmund. Did you notice? Did you notice, Flinny, that he looked surprised when guys were kind of behind him, like he wasn't aware, and he got dispossessed many times holding the ball, right? With his with his with his back to the net, you know. I mean, at midfield, so in places where you really can't lose the ball. And one thing about his father, and the poor kid is going to be compared to his father, who's probably probably one of the greatest players ever, definitely, if not the greatest. uh, um, Claudia, you could not get the ball off of Claudia, man. It was right. just his, his thing. He had that. He'd get that butt out, and you, you couldn't get a you couldn't get it off him. So, and then I, I also saw him sort of throw his hands up a few times too. He didn't think he'd gotten the call, and so he gave the guy the forearm shiver. I don't know. If I like you saw that. that. I like where that. He, where, where he got to the guy tripped him off the ball, and then he came back and basically gave, gave him a sh- gave him a shiver. Like he was lucky not to. You know, usually you get the yellow when you're the guy that's giving the shiver afterwards. Well, I thought the referee saw that he had gotten tripped. Wasn't yes. sure if it was intentional or not. Even in the yeah. replay, you couldn't quite tell. But I like that about Claudia. I mean, uh, Gio, God help us. Yeah. Um, you know, gave him a little, gave him a little hit. Boy, and I tell you, Weston McKinney, I really liked him. I think Tyler Adams did not have his best game last night, but I thought he was uh, calm. Uh, John Brooks, yeah. I thought, played really well. Yeah, he was um, he was solid. I, you know, I think um, the fact that Gio didn't play well is actually that they did that well and arguably the guy that's maybe end up being their best player didn't have a good game and they were competitive. I hear you, Sam, totally. I mean, no Gareth Bale, no Aaron Ramsey. I mean, it was a depleted Wales. I mean, Wales aren't very good to begin with. Well, they were good. They had a really good one run at the Euros last, last time. Um, Historically, you're correct, Sam. Wales has always been, an underperformer, maybe slightly better than Scotland, but certainly not, uh, you know, top flight. But uh, now, that winger James plays for Manchester United, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah, he came on yeah. in the second half. Yeah. 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 He, he did some damage. He, he's a player. He's yeah. Yeah. And I think Gareth Bale was up watching, uh, as Stu Holden said, watching the U S open. Yes. Uh, or the masters. Yeah. I think Yeah, the masters. Yeah. I think, you know, in the second half too, I don't know if you guys noticed it. I just felt like the, uh, the U S team got just a little bit, uh, got opened up a little bit at the back more and the, and the fullbacks were like sprinting back and having to foul. I just felt like the U S team had to foul a lot more in the second half because they well, were either gassed or whatever. I thought, uh, you know, all right. So here from the back looking at things, uh, Zach Stevan had a giveaway again. He seems to have won a game. Oh, on that pass right up the middle. Us. I'm like, don't do not make that pass. But the problem was the back pass was not a very good one for Matt nope. Miazga. And I thought Matt Miazga struggled a little bit. So, as well. So, yeah. I don't think he has developed as much as uh, everyone had hoped. He misplayed the angle um, on a ball chasing back. You know, it gave up the inside, and um, the player got by him. He grabbed a yellow card, and, and when he took the player down, got a dangerous opportunity for the Welsh. Um, so Miazga, I think, you know, uh, he's been given a chance, so we'll see what happens. I just don't think he's that player. I think John Brooks solidified himself no where doubt. he was. Um, Anthony Robinson is a real mixed bag. I mean, I was really down on him the first half. He looked nervous. He had a bad giveaway and then some really bad, uh, passing, um, you know, he, he gave it away and put himself and the team in really difficult positions. Second half, I kind of got it. I said, all right, this is what, uh, coach Berhalter must see. He, uh, he's got wheels. Um, and, uh, you know, he got forward a little bit more, not as much as Sergino Dest, but, you know, almost like a Yedlin situation where you get caught out defensively a couple of times. One of them, it's it's going to catch you at this level, yeah. especially as you move forward into qualification. So uh, I think you know the you know Dest is in there and and um, and John Brooks is in there, but I think everything else is up for up for grabs a little yeah. bit. Yeah, I mean, I've got to say, you know me, I've been very kind of um, sarcastic about the system and whatever. I, I've got to I've got to give Burhalter props. He's got. He's got really good tools to work with now. I mean, Absolutely, that yeah. talent, that talent is legitimate. Now it's just a matter of figuring it out, right? Harnessing the talent. But I, 
I just feel like they're missing that guy up front. They're missing. Well, they, uh, absolutely. I think that if anything, guys, we could agree on was that the the final third, you know, the coming out of the back and in the play in the midfield, yeah. very encouraging. Which usually sometimes the midfield is not there, uh, but. They did not create a ton of opportunities, and certainly uh, with Le- uh, Sebastian Legette up front and Conrad De La Fuente, he missed a sitter. But I, I don't know if you guys noticed when that ball he hit, if you look at it in slow motion, the ball is spinning like crazy. Mm-hmm. So I think it was almost like a foul tip. You know, the thing yeah. just, just went right up. And he either, you know, I don't think he thought he had time to let the ball sit more, or and he didn't raise his leg either uh, yeah. to sort of side volley it. So it went up and over and he looked at it. But when I watched the replay, I was like, that ball was spinning left to right really, really yeah. fast. I like, mean, the condition, yeah, the conditions were tough in general. I mean, it was yeah. pouring rain the whole time. Must have been yeah, a very heavy easy. pitch. I'm assuming the pitch was really heavy. Yeah. And, um, but, you know, well, look, we love playing in that and you're both playing uh, on the same pitch. Great so. for slide tackling. <laughs> so this, um, I was, you know, a couple of substitutions. I thought uh, this Yuli uh, Yanez, um, he got, got a shot, you know, he placed Conrad in the 71st minute, took, you know, the best shot of the game, 25 yard effort, uh, that the keeper had to make a save. I liked it. He had confidence. I hadn't heard of him before. Um, then this Johnny Cardoza who plays in Brazil, uh, came out there and seemed to, to, to fit right in. So uh, all in all, I mean, I thought the possession was good. I thought a lot, a lot to be encouraged about to tell you. Yeah. I'm really with was. you. And, and, and oddly, I think COVID might've helped Burhalter to the extent that, you know, he might've had a very different team in mind eight months, eight, nine months ago. And because of COVID it's given, you know, things have evolved uh, to the point where he's, he's just looking at a lot more, a lot younger players than, than might've been on his radar initially. So I, I think just, it's been good fortune in a way. Um, but the, the talent is undeniable. There's some really good players on that team. Yeah. I think to, to put, you know, a positive spin on things at last, um, I think, I think, come on, Sam, don't let me down. <laughs> First of all, I think if it hasn't been stated yet, McKenney has to be the future captain of this team, in my opinion. He plays like um, one, doesn't he? And like yeah. second of all, um, I was encouraged to see players from Southern leagues, Southern European and South American leagues uh, included in this team. I think it's really good to have that mix of players. Um, and I was looking at some of the numbers we had, you know, Conrad De La Fuente, Sergio Des, and Yunus Musa, all three La Liga players, um, despite the fact that only eight Americans in history have played in La Liga. Weston McKennie, obviously from Serie A, where only seven Americans have played. Reggie Cannon from Boa Vista in Portugal came on in the second half, where only 10 Americans have played. And um, Johnny Cardoza, who plays for Internacional in Brazil, where just two Americans have ever played. Um, comparing those numbers to the EPL, where 54 Americans have played into the Bundesliga, where it's even more, where it's 63. I think it's good, you know, maybe it's a little stereotypical just to think that because you play in these leagues, you're a little more technical, tactical. But I think it's good to have this mix where in the past we've sort of you know, American players have made their name playing in Germany or England mm-hmm. leagues that are faster, more physical, yeah. you know, right. somewhat maybe less technical. So I think it's good. Well, to see. I think that's a good point, Sam, because look, the one thing the United States has always been known for is the physicality. You know, the, these studs that uh, we we raise people on corn and potatoes here in the United States. We got some big boys. And um, I think you're right. I think uh, it's the they're sort of spreading the wealth right now. So players all over the place, you go to these more technical teams, uh, it helps when the team gets together and, and they have that level of skill. So um, Was there only one? Did I hear that correctly, that there was just one MLS player? Legette, yeah. Sebastian Legette. I mean, that's extraordinary. Well, they, he was taking a European-based team. so <clears throat> Right, but uh, still. I usually, mean, Jan- usually January camp, he'll bring in uh, MLS players and European players. So Yeah, but I mean, how many, a lot of those players that we saw are going to end up being starting players on that team. Yeah, absolutely. I so mean, you think like six of them, maybe. Uh, yeah, I think at least. Yeah, at least probably six. But you know, uh, and then Polisic will get added. Right, but this is the thing you you'll uh, it it's the bullpen that you have, which is MLS. So there's a, a, a tier of players. You know, and a bunch of these players who are playing overseas started, you know, with these with their clubs here in the mm-hmm. states, and so that's how we're developing players. Be nice for them to stay sometimes, but we've done, we've been through that as well that stage. 
Um, now they're going overseas, and it's certainly benefiting the national team. All right, this is one about- of the, just quickly, Flinny. This is one of the reasons you didn't like Jurgen Klinsmann is because Klinsmann wanted these guys to be playing over in Europe. No, he, he was going through Europe with a DNA test kit trying to. No, find- I, no, I know that, but also remember, he and Garber had that big clash because Jurgen right. wanted guys playing over in Europe. I think that ship has sailed, and I tell you yeah. what, you look at it with the women. You look at the on the on the women's side. I mean, I. The, look, everybody complained about the women. Go to the games here if you want more women to have better teams here. Yep. But they're going overseas because the opportunities are over there. And eventually those teams will come back and beat the United States. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, like I said, the U- U.S. women had it pretty well for a long time, especially with the amount of college, you know, Title Title IX and, and all that. We've gone through that before. But so uh, things are changing there. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about going overseas. Let's see. Uh, I think you guys called it the measuring stick matches this past weekend. Uh, I watched the Man City Liverpool game. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. first half. Good Sam, first I think half. you probably watched the Dortmund Bayern game. Yeah, I watched. That was really the only game I paid real close attention to. I, I mean, like I said earlier, I just thought the level across the games I watched in City, I was very low because of this sort of fatigue. But the Dortmund Bayern game was pretty good. Um, I, I just had a couple points I, I wanted to bring up in this one. Um, the first is that I, you know, I think it was, it was, ta- it was Taylor Twelman doing the commentary and what I'm just, what I don't like about Dortmund. Um, and as I brought up before about them having all these young players and everything, you know, what, what seems to be cool about them and what people pick up on is the fact that they have these 17 year olds, 18 year olds. And like Twelman said, you know, they don't look out of place on the field against Bayern Munich, which is great, but you know, they lost the game. Um, And this to me is sort of emblematic of just how the Bundesliga works. It's like, you know, Bayern is just so superior to everybody and Dortmund is supposed to be their biggest challenger. And should they be happy with just, you know, not looking out of place and losing. So that's my first takeaway. Um, my second takeaway was I thought Tolman had an interesting point on um, the delayed offsides calls that we've been seeing. I'm not sure he's the mm-hmm. first person to point this out, but I wanted mm-hmm. to get your guys' take. He was saying, you know, there was a, a through ball that the ref didn't raise his flag, and it led to, you know, an almost potentially dangerous challenge because the ref didn't put up his flag, and then he did later. And he's saying, you know, eventually something is going to happen and someone is going to get badly injured and they're going to have to go back and revisit this whole rule. Um, so I was curious to get your guys' take on that. Real? Yeah, um, yeah I mean, it, it, to me, those situations happen so rarely. Um, I, you know, I, I like playing the – I like playing the, the – so this was the delayed offside, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean again, I, I, I have no issue – with with doing it in general, I I hear what Taylor's saying, but I just feel like the chances of that happening are. I, yeah, fairly I, I have a problem with it because I just think it seems weird that they let you play on when there's an offsides, and it uh, all of us as players, you know, yeah. it's, if it's offsides, it's offsides, you know, yeah. you end the play there, and I think someone's gonna get hurt. You say it's the it's generally in the field of play, so that's that it is what it is. You know, it's, you're still playing the game, play to the whistle. Um, but we have all been in those situations where mm-hmm. like when an offside, you think it's going to be called and then it's not called. And then the player pull up a little bit, yeah. the goalkeeper comes out and it's just, you're stammering a little bit. And that is when you get hurt mm-hmm. when there's that sort of uh, false sense of like, Oh, what you, you're looking at the linesman. So, but I just don't like it. It seems weird. Uh, and I also saying the offsides call, which we've talked about a lot on this show. Um, I think if your hand and your head are over, the line I, I don't think it should be offside I think it should be your feet I agree where your feet are yeah that's just easy that's the easy way yeah. to make it because when we played I, I would stay even with the guy or just a little you know a hair behind but your hand would probably be offside and why would your hand be offside I just don't get that anymore it makes it easier for, for everybody hand. if that's the rule if the rule is your feet then it's a very easy call on VAR it's kind of like right. again I think we need to go back to uh, you know intentional or accidental on handball that's it. Intentional, right. accidental. Just boil it down and make that the, uh, the, the differentiator. So speaking of handballs, and you got, uh, I think, a bad call against Liverpool with, yeah. um, with Gomez. I think- Gomez was turned, and it hit, yeah, again, it was one of these ones that keeps getting called this year, and uh, it's driving players and coaches crazy. And again, I, again, we just have to simplify the rule. 
It, it's got, if you turn away from a guy striking the ball and it happens to hit your hand, that's accidental. Right. Just the yeah. act of turning away from a person. Now, if you turned and you lifted your hands or something, totally different story, but that's an easy call if that's the criteria in my mind. Right. Um, right. So I just had a phone call come in. Could you guys hear that? Yeah, we could. Yeah. That was nice. Say hi. Uh, it's probably Agent Healy who we're going to get on a little <laughs> bit just uh, now. Um, you know, I think uh, you're a big fan of De Bruyne, who is a fantastic player. Uh, I think, uh, Grail, and you've mentioned this before, I think they missed David, David Silva. Well, they de- yeah, they definitely miss David Silva and they miss Aguero. I, I just feel like they miss right. guys in, in their, the spine of their team and Aguero is such a good finisher. And I think, you know, I, I think he's maybe one of the most underrated strikers in the last 10 years. The guy is so reliable and, you know, Jesus and Sterling are just not Sergio Aguero. So right. they've, been, they've been playing without some key guys for long periods of time. And, and of course, you know, this is going back a couple of years, but of course they miss Vincent company on that team. They're, they're just not the team they were a couple of years ago. That's where they struggled in the, in the back, I think. Yeah. And, but you know, then again, if you look at some of the lower, you know, ranked teams, Man City, nothing to complain about, you, you know, a lot of players. I mean, they left Sané go, which he's doing well. Uh, I always thought that was a mistake. He just never quite gelled with Pep, I guess. He's made Bayern better. I mean, he's Bayern was already fantastic, as Sam said, and they're definitely a step above everybody. But Sané, oh my goodness, that guy—he scored a fantastic goal in that game. So, um, kind of an odd season, though, because certain teams are uh, ranked high that we're not used to seeing up so high, and uh, teams that uh, have always been up top are sort of struggling and down below and mid-table. Yeah, uh, that's kind of what I said at the top of like the the idea of even predicting what's going to happen this season is just everything is turned upside down. And you is know, that good are, or bad, guys? What do you I, think? I like it. I like it. I like it because it's nobody just marching to the title. You know, Liverpool was essentially had the league sewn up before the lockdown happened, and then they kind of played mediocre through the rest of the season. But they had so many points accumulated. I like for me as a fan. Um, and I won't even mention my team because I, I vowed to myself I would go the uh-huh. entire show. You're not going to hear me mention my Same. team. Okay, no team. But Formally no, I, li- I, I like it. Prince. No, it's, it's just a fan of, 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 the, of the EPL versus a fan of a team. I love the fact that it's wide open. So, you know, Leicester or Aston Villa or some other team could end up winning the league this year, especially with injuries. You know, everybody's going to get the injury bug this year because uh, muscle injuries are up 44% since last season. So it's going to affect everybody. I, mean, I agree. Point. I like it too, but I wish it didn't take, you know, a global pandemic and a bunch of people getting well, injured, know. <laughs> you know, for it to come to fruition. I mean, yes. I would love if all the leagues were more competitive all the time, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause you mentioned, uh, who did you mention earlier, but then you have like PSG. I mean, so, you know, just wild swings. German have, Germans have their team and the French have their team. And I think it's the Premier League. I mean, it's fun to watch. Look, you don't know who's going to win. Um, yeah, yeah, like Leeds, you know, and Leeds has been very, they started out gangbusters and they've slipped. Everton started out great. They've slipped a little bit. You know, Villa's moved up. Leicester looks really good. I've got to say right now that Leicester looks like a really good solid team right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, you had a, an observation about uh, technique. Yeah, so I, I thought it'd be fun occasionally to do a, a little segment called Tech Talk, and it's not uh, technology, it's technique. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, as you, I'm an unabashed Kevin De Bruyne fan, and I, I was watching him in, in, uh, last weekend. And what occurred to me is just for our listeners and players out there, his posture is very over the ball, pardon the pun, but he plays very much on his front foot and almost hunched over. And what it does is it leads to really good. um, He's very, he's got his weight forward when he's tackling. He's got his weight forward when he's passing. He's got his weight forward when he's shooting and finishing. And I I compare that with Raheem Sterling. I just say to, to our listeners to watch Man City next time and follow those two players. Raheem Sterling is a very vertical player. Who's almost to the point of leaning back. And it's why he is, why his touch isn't as good because he's not over the ball, why his finishing isn't as good because he's leaning back a lot when he's going to strike the ball and why when he's tackling, he's on his back foot. So just a small thing to, to keep an so eye on. But 
you remind me of like it's like skiing technique yeah the balance is better when you're over the ball i mean the the difference i think is positionally you have a midfielder and then you have that sort of uh, messy and i say barry sanders sort of low to the ground uh, sort of player who's very very solid you can tell a guy like raheem sterling He's, he's one of those speedsters where most of his career has been about just running on to through balls. And yeah. so his, uh, his abilities are very different. And then it's tough to unlearn a lot of those things. I think, he's, I think he's come a long way from Liverpool days playing for Pep and playing for Man City. I think his touch has gotten better. But boy, yeah. one of those guys that makes you really frustrated when you play with him because like, they get more opportunities because of their wheels, yes. but they don't always finish you know, like they yeah. should. So, yeah, uh, he's slight, he's, he's always, I always find Sterling slightly out of control. So like Sam, what's your, cause you're a big technique guy. So what's, uh, what was your, what's your take on that? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't watch enough of Man City to comment on either of those players, but I think you're always better off moving towards the ball. Um, yeah. And you want to have your, you know, weight centered in that, in that way. Um, right. It's funny. Cause I think Gio Reyna, we talked about him not having a great game. But I think he does that really well. His movement and his positioning before he receives the ball are exceptional. And he puts himself in a good position to be turned going in the direction he wants when he gets it. I think his issue against Wales, like you mentioned, Gro, is that he just held on to it a little bit too long yeah. and tried to do too much. But um, he protects the ball very well in that regard. And I think that also helps you if you're leaning forward and mm-hmm. I just think you always want to be moving towards the ball when it's coming to you. Basically. Yeah. And the, and, and the best tacklers I played with weren't necessarily big guys. They were guys that got very square to the ball and forward, mm-hmm. just uh, like all their weight moving forward and just kind of like locked in and mm-hmm. it was impossible to get around them. Like uh Flinny, you'd remember the Murphy brothers. Yeah. Um, Kevin and, uh, Kenny. Ken, Kevin and Kenny. And they were great tacklers. They weren't big guys, but they just got so just grounded. No, no, hey, look, yeah. look, uh, you know, I pride myself on my tackling too, but yeah. if you have a big guy, they many, most times are easier to knock off the ball than another mm-hmm. guy who's built low to the ground and, and, you know, you're coming in muscle and muscle. And then you want to be the driving force when you're, when you're tackling. So a big guy, I'd always yeah. love, you know, make them go ass over tea kettle if you come in the right way because they, they tip over. Yeah. You know? So, uh, all right, guys. So, uh, this good stuff. Uh, you know, so overall, a good U.S. men's national team debut uh, after a long, uh, you know, layoff. Lots of good young players. We saw some stuff that we – a lot of stuff we liked and some stuff that we didn't. So, uh, yeah. all right. So, let's take a break here. Uh, we're going to talk to Adrian Healy. Uh, he's our guest. He's uh, got a little announcement. He's, uh, he's, he's moving on, but he's staying in the soccer world. He was doing the Georgia-Macedonia uh, game last night, so he's probably sleeping that one off right now. But we'll wake him up, and we'll get him here on Over the Ball. You're listening to OTB. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for the Soccer America Pro Membership. It's just $4.90 a month or $49 a year. And by Ticket IQ, the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets. Go to TicketIQ.com and when it asks for the promo code, punch in OTB10 for $10 off of your purchase. Can't lose. All right, joining us now on Over the Wall, he's the man whose golden pipes and English accent have soothed us over the years. He's the man who has broadcast more MLS matches as the lead play-by-play voice, over 250, by the way, than anyone else in ESPN history. He is uh, moving on, though, in December as he has been hired by Austin FC, one of my favorite cities. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. As their executive director of broadcast and content ahead of the 20. 21 season he will also serve as the lead english language play-by-play broadcaster for the club for all their matches man wow that sounds perfect in the booth in the front office in austin let's talk about that joining us now and over the ball mr adrian healy adrian how are you how you doing kevin grail great to great to be back it's been a while Glad to have you back and uh, glad to have you after your big assignment yesterday doing the uh, georgia against macedonia uh, yes, friendly. it was it was it was massive. It was actually massive for North Macedonia. Uh, they waited a long time for this moment, even even changed their name before uh, before getting there. But uh, well, they, I, I see. I've watched those games. It's amazing, um, and no fans. So it reminds me of my college career. So it's, uh, <laughs> very good. But um, and the U.S. team last night. Did you watch the U.S. team play? Yes. 
Well, I was flipping backwards and forwards between them and uh, them and Scotland, who were uh, trying to uh, snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Again. <laughs> as the Scottish, as the Scottish do. So, uh, all right. So, let's talk about your big move first of all. This sounds really exciting, uh, Austin. It's uh, you know a lot of people love that city. Have a great football club now, and and you're part of it. Talk a little bit about yeah. what's ahead for you. Well, a lot of people love love that city for good reason, and I'm I'm amongst those people. I've always uh, I've always loved the city, uh, even though I, I had a huge long spell without going there. I first went there when I was in my in my former life, in my in my alternative rock DJing days in the in the early '90s. I first went to a, wow. a South by Southwest and was just completely blown away by the city. And this was like 1994. Um, right. And it was a pretty different city back then. And I, I, I'd always kind of thought, oh, I want to spend more time here, but never, never really got the opportunity to. And um, I kind of followed sort of the progress of that city in the, in the sporting realm to figuring, oh, you know, it, it would be maybe a good MLS city one day. But there were already two clubs in, in, in Texas and Dallas and Houston. I didn't know if there'd be room for a third. And then, and then they, you know, they... They made an attempt to get a team back in 2009, uh, 2010. That team eventually moved to Orlando. It didn't happen, but I was still keeping tabs on them. And then when the whole Columbus to Austin thing started to happen, I, I really kind of sat up and took notice. And, right. And, um, you know, cut a long story short, just, just the opportunity sort of uh, emerged uh, to, to, to jump on board. And I'd always thought one day I wanted to get involved with the club again because that's kind of how I started in this, yeah. this business and um, just didn't know when and how that would happen. But the, the Austin was such a unique both city and opportunity that it was very hard not to, not to just say, right, let's do it. This is, this is the moment um, yeah. because it was only going to come once this chance to be in at the, at the birth of this club in this, mm -hmm. in this city. So that's, that's, yeah, you know, you're leaving a dream job for many people at ESPN, and yet you're heading heading there for another dream job. So it's uh, it's it's a good. These are good choices to have, uh, right? Adrian. And you know, looking at the the Texas sort of makeup, I've always said that not not to besmirch Austin, I mean uh, Houston or Dallas, but Austin seems demographically almost perfectly aligned for a, an MLS team. Yeah, uh, absolutely. College town, yeah. you know. Yeah, young tech. Uh, young tech savvy hip yeah all the things that i'm not um, <laughs> <laughs> don't sell yourself short we'll do that for you <laughs> um yeah it, it, you know and it, it's never had any professional sports team of any sort before not not at the highest level which is astonishing because that town is and always has been dominated by ut and the longhorns but 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 it, as you as you say uh, i think all the metrics were there the the, the, the viewership for Premier League was was off the charts already. There, there was obviously a huge untapped potential, and already the you know they, they, they've sold out the season tickets. I mean, the response has been phenomenal with without a ball being kicked and uh, with them only having two players signed at the moment. So yeah, you're so right. It was it was it was vast untapped potential um, in Austin. Grail. Uh, hey, Adrian, it's great having you with us. I'm, I'm just curious, uh, in terms of the Austin gig, how much of the appeal was the ability to just fully immerse yourself in one brand, so to speak, versus having to have like a fair amount of knowledge about a, a lot of teams, which is essentially what your life has been. Yeah. Every time you go on air, you've got to know a fair amount, but you can never know everything. But now you have the chance to be the Austin FC yeah. expert. Yeah, absolutely. Big, big part of it, Grail. Massive part of it. Just, just that that chance to be in the in the fabric of the club, in the in the DNA, in the everyday, um, you know, wheelings and dealings of a of a team. Uh, you know, I started I started doing that with the New England Revolution back in the back in the late nineties, and, and obviously really enjoyed that. But that led to the opportunity with ESPN and. Um, but I've always thought, and I have always missed that, despite everything I've been doing at ESPN, I've been very lucky. Um, I, I've always thought one day, just that that chance to be involved again and in in actually be a part of a, of a club. It's, it's, there's nothing else like it. There really isn't. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, but, but it comes with, you know, so, so you have to get, take the rough with the smooth, and I'm sure there'll be plenty of bad days. You know? How do you, how do you, uh, how do you uh, 
put a put a put a nice spin on a on a four nil walloping you've just taken the night before when everyone comes into the office all a little glum and down it does I mean it, you live the life at the club uh, both the mm-hmm. highs and the lows so it's got to be very very different emotionally <laughs> The team aspect too, you partial observer. So the team aspect where you know you're 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 part of a team. Now I know in the broadcast booth you have a team, but it's a much smaller team. You know you have your, yeah, your play by play and 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 the color guy, and then you have the guys in the truck. But um, this is this is a lot of moving parts, so it's going to be a a real challenge for you and fun. Uh, Sam, you had a question. Yeah. Um, so Adrian, you mentioned this a little bit, but you've worn over the years, you know, a lot of different hats, whether that's radio, DJ, you know, other sports besides soccer. And uh, I, I think it's interesting because we had, you know, for example, John Champion on the show last week who, yeah. you know, grew up in England, became a broadcaster in England and then came here where you have mostly done your work here. So I'm curious what your take is. We talk a lot about, you know, broadcasting, particularly soccer in this country and what we need to learn, what we do well. So I'm curious where you stand on those uh, issues. Well, I, I do think um, the, the broadcasting of this sport has, has got exponentially better in, in the last you know, decade, decade and a half. There's many, many more young talents coming through calling the game. And it's just, you know, like anything, it's just immersing yourself in it and growing up with it. And I think now we're seeing the fruits of, of that. People have sort of grown up loving the sport and been involved in the in the language of it. And, and I, I, it's just, it's night and day from where it was. I mean, God, when I first started in MLS <clears throat> in the late 90s, it was, most teams were just throwing on hockey announcers because that was, you know, that was all they had in their market. Right. Like, oh, let's throw... Let's throw this guy on because he you know, it's kind of the same, isn't it? You're just sticking a, something in the net. And, um, so so we are we're a million miles from there. Um, but I do feel fortunate having having spent all the time I have in, in the US to have, to have kind of been able to absorb you know American sports culture and the way it's broadcast. I take a lot of cues from <clears throat> from other sports, you know, how, how the NFL is called by the very best and and um, and, and hockey and you know to, to me those, those are those are great sort of learning examples I've always tried to kind of be the bridge between sort of the the very English sensibilities of the game and and, and, and the American way of doing it and um, I've kind of tried to find a middle ground and I'm still constantly searching for that <laughs> for, for that middle ground uh, it's it's not you you never you're never quite there as a, as a broadcaster but oh, I feel fortunate to have had all these great I mean, listening to Al Michaels for years and Joe Buck for years and, and, and all these great American announcers has been uh, has been amazing, you know, and trying to take some of that into into the soccer world. Well, you're kind of uniquely uh, in it with a seat there because it, it is you have the English background and then but the American broadcasting background as well. And I think a lot of this soccer stuff, the road is being paved right now. We're, we're, we're figuring it out as we, uh, as we yeah. go along. And, and I forgot we had that connection, you know, when I used to do the comedy at WPCN and you were yeah. across town at WFNX. Yeah. Uh, when radio was huge, I remember, boy, we would fill up clubs every night just by, uh, you know, being on the, the radio station that day in Boston, especially such a college town, rock and roll town. Yeah. You know, Aerosmith was really big uh, then. Talk a little bit about that. Uh, well, I, I remember those days so well because, you know, the two stations you just mentioned uh, were, were actually big rivals. It was WFNX were kind of the the young scrappy new kid on the block who came along with this new format alternative rock and BCM were the established kind of kings kings of the town but but but, but a much more kind of that middle of the road format you know classic rock for one of a better word it wasn't really that what they were doing and then suddenly when FNX <clears throat> had, had a lot of success and ratings started going up and up with alternative rock BCN switched formats to to, to, to copy what FNX were doing so there was a lot of that was that was a good rivalry for a few years, but right. that was like Charles Charles Laquadera and Mark Parento. Yeah. Um, That's right. And uh, the rock and roll guys. Yeah. It was uh, it was a wild time. And how did you get started in radio? Then what were you doing in Boston? So um, so I always you know I already always had this other string to my my uh, sort of life, which was music, and and, and just really by dint of where I was uh, at that time, um, music took over. I mean, I was, it was the early nineties. There was no, there was no opening for professional soccer. Um, 
right. something completely different brought me to Boston. I was actually working in um, in the uh, educational travel business. Uh, I was the guy on. I, I did have a mic in my hand. I was on. I was on the bus taking uh, busloads of American kids around on tours of Europe, and working for that company brought me to Boston. And then I got a I got a show uh, on the MIT station WMBR. Um, MIT, one of my. No, I was not a student at MIT. I hated to it, but they, you know, they, the volunteer station got a got a job down there, or well, not a job. It was a it was a it was a volunteer show. It was on, uh, you know, Tuesday night midnight till two a.m. That was that was my slot. Um, but I did that for a year and started sending tapes out and actually got a gig down in uh, down in Tucson, Arizona. My first commercial radio paying gig. 1993, um, working for a station called The Echo, which was uh, 92.1 and 106.3. That was like. Oh, did you move yeah. down there? Sorry. Did you move down there? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was that was my first and only time away from New England until the until the move we're about to make. So it's you know, been it's a year. Interesting. It's interesting, Adrian, listening to you because so many people have gotten their start in the broadcast industry by going on college radio. Yeah. Because basically you're given an opportunity. Pretty much nobody's listening. Maybe ten students who are getting stoned somewhere in the quadrant. You know, <laughs> but it's like you get your you get your at bats, you know, and you sort oh, of yeah. you cut your teeth on it. Um, and it's uh, it's funny how it goes. You try to teach young kids this, where it's sort of like, hey, you gotta you gotta pay your dues a little bit. You just, know, you can't go right onto a big broadcast radio show. You gotta you know start small. Yeah, just do it. I, I get asked that all the time. What's the path into this career? Well, it's it's like there is no defined path at all. Right. It really is. I mean, my, I've had so many twists and turns. Uh, there's just no. As you say, you just got to get your reps in. You just got to find a way to do it. Um, and I, I mean, God, my 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 you know, my rep started when I was like twelve or thirteen. I was on this in, in England uh, growing up. I was on this station called um, it was a, it was a hospital radio station. If you can believe that, uh, there, there used to be a whole used to be a whole sort of array of these stations dotted around the country. And it's exactly what they, they said they were. They, they broadcast just, just to hospital patients. In the, in wow. The, so I got, and, but they always had rights to the local, the local football team. So I got on as a 12 year old oh, calling wow. 15 minutes of a game um, on, on hospital radio and, and, and uh, for the people that they were in comas, yeah, <laughs> I was waking them up. But actually, they liked it because I had a really high pitched voice, of course, at the age of 12. And it, that, that voice actually carried over their uh, dilapidated equipment very well. So they so they kept on having me back to do it. Well, the elderly, the elderly love those young voices. It helps them as they're uh, in there. Uh, Grail? Yeah, so Adrian, you? I actually have a two part question for you. The first one is music related. Uh -oh. What song would define for you that period of time at WFNX? If you were to pick one song <clears throat> that would uh, just take you back to those days from that era, what would it be? Well, I'd probably, I mean, there are a lot of, you know, that was the era of Nirvana and Pearl Jam. Mm -hmm. and, you know, all those mighty, bands. mighty boss tones, though, all man. Those bands, so, well, I was going to say, I probably would have to pick a Boston band because, yeah, FNX always really threw their weight behind any Boston alternative yeah. band. So the, so the two of the springs to mind was the um, Mighty Mighty Boston's would have been one, but that Let Us to Cleo song, um, mm -hmm. you know, on a Sunday morning, tea and toast and warming, I can't even remember what the song's called, I played it a billion times, but but that, that song we played, uh, I must have played that song <laughs> 1,500 times <laughs> at, at least. It's still a great song. I, you know, there's a station here locally in Connecticut, 104.1, that still plays that whenever they do yeah. that. Yeah, so it was the Pogues too, right? The Pogues. That takes Pogues. me roaring back to that, that time. So let us declare is what I what I would say. Okay. Uh, so the Pogues. Yeah. So so on the soccer front, um, since you hail from Swindon, I was just <laughs> I, I was just curious if if A, you're a Swindon Hound supporter, and B, how concerned are you about the clubs? Everybody's concerned about the EPL financial stability how concerned are you about the clubs and like the championship in the league one in terms of their sustainability yeah yeah I love, uh, Grail, I love the way you say swindon just the way you said it it's yeah. just uh, it has the right amount of uh, <laughs> bitterness to it <laughs> <laughs> the robin are they the robins the robins they are yeah, the robins that's right uh, yeah. god yeah uh, how concerned am i well very concerned it, it, you know they've 
you know, like anyone in England, I grew up supporting my local team. Basically, it was it was no it was no sort of aesthetic choice I made. It was just I was lumped with them because that's where I grew up, and, and but I've been faithful to them all all these years and, uh, through a lot of up and downs. Uh, mainly downs. Um, they are, yeah, they're in League One, which is the third tier of English football. They came up from League Two last year. They've spent most of their time in League One, and I, I just don't know how um, these clubs are going to survive much longer. I mean, God, they were already making a loss on a date. I mean, anyone that owns a club at that level, you're not making any money. You're just hoping right. that uh, somehow the valuation goes up with a promotion. And, um, increasingly the model for clubs at that level is that the players just don't stick around. That's what's become harder following the team mm-hmm. like that uh, over the years. Cause it used to be, you know, players would, would forge a career there. They build a career and then perhaps move on. Some wouldn't, some would play their, play their whole careers at, at that level. Uh, but now increasingly it's lone players coming in from bigger teams. You can't get a game. And so they're there for, you know, maybe half a season, maybe one season, then they're gone. I mean, the team Swindon's team this year, it's almost entirely different from just 12 months ago. So it makes it very hard as a, as a fan to kind of have the same attachment. But it's it's just the financial reality facing these clubs. And, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, Grail. I really don't. I mean, the Premier League clubs have said, yes, we've got to, we've got to, we've got to do our part to keep these clubs afloat. And they, and they, and they do have to because it, it remains an essential part of sort of the, the football pyramid in, 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 any, in any country. Mm-hmm. It's essential that there's a vibrant sort of lower league system to provide that funnel upwards. Without that, um, it, it would be hard to imagine the game continuing in the in the in the same sort of frame that we've known it in, in the past 20, 30 years. So, it, but it, very good feeder system, you know. It's their feeder yeah. system, and so yeah. it's like minor leagues that they have there. Uh, you know what baseball has, and, and football has college football, which is just like the farm. Yes. So, uh, yeah, players have to come from somewhere. They get they right. sort of magically appear, um, and they have to be developed. And that's how most of them. I mean, so, yeah, it has changed. Plenty of players join clubs at the age of six and seven now. Um, yeah, I'm just getting ready for England, England, Belgium on Sunday. Looking, looking at you know, how many of how many of the players in the England squad now actually joined their their club at a ridiculously early age. It's nearly everyone now, but uh, there still needs to be this sort of pyramid feeder system. Um, you know, for, for things to continue the way they are. Right. Let's uh, stay domestic, uh, Sam. Yeah, I'm looking at MLS this season, Adrian, before you make your move, um, I'm just curious what you, uh, what you think about the playoffs coming up, who you like, what are some of the storylines you'll be following? particularly closely <laughs> well it's a throw them all up in the air and see, <laughs> see how they land type of year it, it really is i mean it's uh yeah i think you have to credit mls for getting through a regular season getting to this point uh, you know albeit somewhat unsatisfactorily at least they got there and they, they got they got now now kind of it's the big reset button is hit but but honestly uh sam it, it's just you know the, the, there are the normal the usual suspects in in each conference uh, who who you know know how to get the job done when it comes to knockout football, which is completely different to the regular season football. And that's what I love about the MLS playoffs. It really is always you know how do you rise to playing a game where everything is on the line. Um, mm-hmm. So you would think Toronto now know how to get the job done in the in the East, even though they're stuck playing their home games in East Hartford. Uh, yeah, well, near your home, Adrian, which you're, <laughs> yeah. you're moving away from. And I tell you, um, the timing couldn't be better because uh, you're moving in December. You're leaving right. Yeah. Right when the cold weather comes in yeah. Connecticut. Uh, yeah. could, be, could be the perfect move. Um, and, and, you know, out west, the normal suspects too, Portland, Seattle, Sporting, Kansas City. It's very hard to, to see any teams outside of that bunch coming through. But you never know. I mean, someone can get out. Someone like uh, Orlando City in the East, I've really enjoyed what they've done. Finally, in their sixth year of existence under Oscar Perea, they've kind of completely changed their club culture and they've played some great stuff uh, at times this year. Um, but then someone who just snuck into the playoffs. I mean, God, only, only six teams didn't make the playoffs. So uh, it's, it's a pretty it's a pretty big field. There's a lot of games to negotiate. There will be upsets along the way, I know for sure. Uh, you know, so, um, so it would be very hard uh, to... to predict a winner when that when the dust settled but there's going to be some going to be some 
some really good games. And as we've seen in the regular season, I don't think home field advantage counts for at all for what yeah, it once yeah. did. Um, we, we, yeah, we've seen that. In, in all levels of football, haven't we? So. Right. We, we were talking last week about a restaurant that said they broke even this year. And I said, breaking even is a win this year. Right. It seems oh, like yeah. MLS has done it. And they, they sort of, I think in a lot of ways, set the standard even before the NBA started going. So hats off to them for actually, you know, making this happen. So we got to go in a second here, but I wanted to ask you quickly about the growth of women's soccer. You've, uh, you'd have covered the women's world cup uh, yeah. for many years. Um, for 13 years now you've been, you've been sort of, probably longer. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on, on how uh, it's progressing? Well, the, the, the really interesting trend to me in, on the women's side is how, how the game is growing uh, in Europe now as well. Yeah. I, think, I think they've taken their, the U.S. has been the lead on that for so long in terms of not only the national team, but also domestic leagues. That, mm-hmm. you know, there have been a couple over the years that have come along, like in Scandinavia and in Germany. But now, you know, we see the English... Premier League um, going big time. See a lot of the American players starting to go over there. Um, we see some 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 of the lesser lights of European women's soccer starting to really come through, like the Netherlands and Spain. Uh, to me, the next five, ten, ten years are going to be really fascinating because the U.S. are going to be really challenged and really challenged to, to maintain right. that maintain that number one spot. And I think that's that's absolutely fantastic. It's great for the. Uh, the balance of the game. I think the next World Cup is going to be awesome down in uh, down in Australia and New Zealand. So that'll be an amazing, amazing event. So I think it's all very, I think it's all very, very positive. Um, I would just like to see more media attention on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the country yeah. still, I think it's it doesn't get the uh, the attention that it deserves. But don't you think it gets more attention here than it does pretty much anywhere else in the world? Um, yes, but still not at the level it, it, it should be getting. Right. Uh, it's starting to get more over there. Um, it varies, varies widely from country to country, but the, you know, the Premier League has a pretty good TV deal now. Um, I think the German Bundesliga does too uh, in France. They, they, they seem to have the infrastructure in place yeah. you know, with a team like yeah. Arsenal or, or you know. Uh, yeah. Um, and we think we have colleges, you know, talking yeah. about the, the real feeder system for, for the women's game. Yeah. Not so much for the men's uh, as, as much, but um, certainly, you know, what I think will happen is the competition gets better. I think the viewership will be more exciting. Yeah. You know, no yeah. 13 to nothing wins or any of that stuff uh, as you move ahead. With yeah. People starting to develop their games. So, uh, yeah. And it's interesting in Europe that the, the different, the different tank, the pro club game is taking this, a lot of the women's clubs are more closely aligned to the to the men's version. So Leon are you know under the same umbrella as the men's team. So so are Arsenal. So are Chelsea. And that 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 is a different approach than, mm-hmm. than we've we've had in the in the US for the professional game. Then so. there's always Georgia and Macedonia. <laughs> there's always well, there's no Georgia anymore. No recount. They're out. Uh, North Macedonia. <laughs> North Macedonia are there. They will be part of Euro. Uh, 2021 if, if, if that happens and in whatever shape or form it happens I think it will but. you know we, we talked to John Champion last week as Sam mentioned and it's a he said he does his due diligence in a short-term way because I say how do you follow all these games the same with you Adrian there's so much yeah. to cover uh that people will try to trip you up and ask you a question about something you're like I have no idea if I'm right. doing that game I'll I'll cover it so uh you probably did your due diligence for Georgia yes. Macedonia you wake up this morning have a cup of coffee it's gone Right. No, exactly. It, you really, really do live in those, those, those bubbles of whatever game is coming next. That, that very intensely for the for the for the few days before the game. So now I'm now I'm in an England Belgium bubble because that's the game I'm doing on Sunday. So well, Agent, uh, we're, we're so happy about your move. It just sounds like a great thing. You've been a big part of the game here and its development from the broadcast booth here in the United States. Moving on, Austin FC uh, as the executive director of broadcast and content ahead of the 2021 season. And if that wasn't a challenge enough, you got a quarantine to deal with. So it's uh, <laughs> all happening in a bubble. Try to make it all happen. Adrian Healy from ESPN, now Austin FC. Thank you so much for joining us on Over the Ball, my friend. Kevin, Grail, Sam, a real pleasure. Uh, keep, up, keep up the great work. You're a great listener. Hey, remember to tweet us at Over the Ball, like us on Facebook and Instagram, and write a review. In fact, make us one of your favorites. It makes a big difference. Oh, man, always great talking to Adrian Healy. Uh, I'm kind of envious. That sounds like a great job. He's in the booth and in the front office. New team, great town. Um, Former DJ. 
Former DJ. You didn't know that. I love that background. (laughs) It's just so fantastic. He's been on the show before, but I forgot. Not when you guys were. No, no. I've been doing this since. Never had the pleasure. I've been doing this since the War of 1812. So, uh, yeah, but like last time I talked to him, I I did, I went into more depth into how he sort of started and got in the broadcast business. And, and, you know, we went over it again a little bit today, but. but yeah, yeah, it was, it's good stuff. So uh, big movie's got a family, you know, he's got to drive him Austin well, and uh, Austin's such a great place. Like as, as we all know, and by the way, it, since he's a music fan, I mean, how great is it moving to yeah. Austin? I was watching actually uh, live from Austin uh, last night, a tape yeah. obviously of Stevie Ray Vaughan, just yeah. absolutely killing it, man. Voodoo Chili and uh, oh, man. Blood, man. He just was nailing it. Uh, great guitarist. I, you know, I remember living in LA, just listening to his music because well, you're always in traffic listening to something. So, uh, mm-hmm. so good stuff. So, um, a, a, an article caught my eye in our sponsor, Soccer America, uh, by Paul Kennedy. Why don't you talk about that a little bit, Grail? Yeah. So, uh, President-elect Joe Biden. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, lest <laughs> I uh, insult any of our listeners. President-elect Biden, because apparently we have to recount every vote in America, so that's going to take a while. So. Only the ones where Trump <laughs> lost. The ones <laughs> so, where he won, we're not exactly. going to. No, so anyway, Joe, uh, Joe is a, a big soccer. He has a big history in soccer. Both his sons, uh, Bo and Hunter, played youth soccer. He was kind of our ambassador for yep. soccer when he was in the Obama administration. So he attended three of the four World Cups that took place during the Obama years. And, um, and he's always been very outspoken uh, on the equal pay thing for the U.S. women's national team. You know, I, so- I, know, I know that we have an issue with some yeah. of... I, I because because I felt that a lot of people who commented on it, Christine Gillibrand yes. and Joe Biden, I felt like they didn't have their facts straight. Like if you say equal pay for equal work, it's like, absolutely, we're all on board. Um, but when you break down what the men's team and what the women's team are doing, it is apples and oranges. Now, whether yeah. you want to correct that in some way, that's fine. But don't go into it just saying they should all be paid the same. It's like, yeah, um, but there's variable factors that are they going to be paid it. the same relatively relatively or you know yes. other factors like health insurance and yes you know, 10 million dollars towards um, uh, to their their domestic league um maternity leave all the things that were sort of you know they they negotiated and yeah. that weren't in the men's contract so it was sort of like he's got to brush up on the facts your due diligence yeah that, but, that's but, but still hey guys still having a guy in the oval office who likes soccer likes the game how great is that yeah, you know who was a big part of bringing soccer here was Henry Kissinger way years yes. back, man. He was a big fan. And I'm waiting you know, for your Kissinger impersonation right now. Hold uh, on, let's hear it. Very good. Um, I love the soccer, and it's good. <laughs> very good. Palestinian problem. They <laughs> soccer team, that's how this will move forward. Yeah. <laughs> very good. He's still having dinner parties, Henry. Funny, funny fact about Henry Kissinger. He was apparently a huge Italian soccer fan growing up and loved the Italian defensive style. And yet Why? was known the, the, the Catanaccio? Yeah, I guess he liked the tactics of it or whatever. But then known for a very expansive, <laughs> offensive uh, policy in office. So, so when so when Henry played the game Stratego as a kid, he just would basically it was a totally defensive posture that he took. Just packed it in. Yeah. You thunk my battleship. <laughs> yeah, during the Vietnam War with Nixon. Yeah, that's a uh, we yeah. know very little about that. We were all, you weren't even born, Sam. So Grail yeah. and I were little, little peanuts. Like, what? Yeah. All right, guys. So this weekend, um, we're on the... Uh, watch Adrian. Race. Adrian do Belgium-England. Uh, Belgium-England. I'd love to see that game. Yeah, that's a good... That's I'm good taking game. a week off. Take, yeah. Sam. We got to get Sam a blood transfusion. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Sam, I'm going to come to your, your defense here because I haven't minded there being a break. I got to be honest with you. Oh, man. I mean, we, we got we to gotta find more stuff for the show, but that's okay. But I'm, Listen, I'm happy I wa- to take I watched a the, I think that's the first U.S. friendly I've watched start to finish in, I, I don't know how long. Maybe I, ever, I live for those so. games. I live for yeah. those games, man. I really do. That's, that's, yeah. That is my number one. Uh, to watch a national. I loved Alexi actually because Alexi in the post game. He's like Sam. He's negative. No, but he was actually. I agreed with him on something. Is um, Stu really? Stu Holden? You know, was Mister Positivity, which was great. And Alexi was just like, let, let me just yeah, clarify something. I can't. I can't make a negative comment about some of these young players, like the kid gloves thing. And yeah. I thought it was a fair point. It's like I don't care how young you are. You're a player. 
and you're going to be you you have to be evaluated as such age has right. nothing to do with it right and and another thing another thing about age these days is as we're seeing i mean just because you're 17 18 doesn't mean you're not like i mean like geo rain is already starting for Dortmund. i mean ajax yeah. went to the quarterfinals of the champ semifinals of the champions league with you know three teenagers at least starting in that or team. Fati, I mean, Fati on Barca, you know, yeah, there are I a mean, lot of young Well, here's the thing, though, guys. In the United States, the development of an athlete is generally after college, right? In college, late yeah. years, then in college. So one thing that's always annoyed me is that, yeah, we've got 15-, 16-year-old players that aren't getting the development uh, that they need. You know, Pulisic talked about this. He said that 14 to 16 are really key years mm, uh, yeah. to get – training in and so to your point sam when you get to be 17 hey you're ready to play if you've yeah. gotten the training classically yeah. in the united states you haven't gotten the training yeah. in fact if you're playing in college you're you're not getting nearly enough uh, at the level you need um so um you know and i think it is okay the other thing is guys when you watch somebody play for the national team especially when they're getting their first cap sometimes they either play really bad because they're so nervous or they play out of their minds because mm. they're all pumped up on adrenaline so uh that like musa i think I would like to watch what happens because I've seen some guys come out, play well, and then you don't see them again. Right. You know, uh, they, they sort of fall off the map pretty quickly. So I think it was nice to have Stu was very positive, liked some of the filth that he saw, some of the skill that he saw. And then Lexi, uh, you know, doing the same role, which is, uh, you know, we're doing Gulliver um, <laughs> sort of thing. But he, uh, you know, put it in perspective a little bit. Yeah. One yes. game does not a week make. Uh, exactly. So. So, uh, all right, boys. Well, that's all the time we have on Over the Ball today, everybody. Uh, please give us a like. Give us a listen. Um, I'd like to thank our guest, Adrian Healy, and wish him best of luck as he heads off to Austin FC for his new gig there uh, in the booth, in the front office, and in Austin, Texas. So, for uh, Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. We'll talk to you next time on OTB. OTB.